listening to United Nations Association in Canada's Between Two Flags podcast series. UNA Canada's mandate is to educate and engage Canadians on the work of the UN and international issues of importance to us all. Through regular sessions, UNA Canada invites subject matter experts to discuss a wide range of issues related to the Sustainable Development Goals and the UN's work. Live tweet as you listen with hashtag Between Two Flags. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the United Nations Association Canada session of Between Two Flags. Our podcast guest today is former president, executive vice president, and chief marketing officer of Telus Corporation, Roy Osing. He is the author of Be Different or Be Dead book series, which presents his career learnings on how to create organizations that stand out from the competition and are cherished by their customers. He is one of 15 leadership experts in Canada, invited as a contributing columnist for the Globe and Mail Careers Leadership Lab series. The theme of today's session is career advice. So Roy, please take your time to introduce yourself. Tell us about your diverse career. And we look forward to our two participants, Jordan and Julie, asking your questions. Hosting this podcast are myself, Nathan Adams, and Bonita Mathieu. So after you, Roy. Okay, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the invitation to come and share my career with you guys and and my learnings. I actually worked for only one employer, TELUS, for 33 years before I left. Interesting in that a lot of people will say, well, yeah, I mean, how come you just have telecom experience? Reality is in a large corporation, there's a whole lot of small corporations within it, small organizations and lots of opportunities for people to do different things. And so I had a very rich and rewarding and diverse career working for one employer in in TELUS, particularly at the time that I worked there when the business was going through a lot of transition and a lot of change. And in those set of dynamics, there's lots of opportunities. So one of the things I would say, if if you want to find opportunities, look for a business and, and a marketplace that's changing a lot, be prepared to get involved in that and be part of the change process. I basically did everything in my career, have done, with the exception of being the chief financial officer for a corporation, and I wouldn't want to do that anyway. <laughs> so for me, <laughs> that's a good thing. I had lots of them reporting to me, and that's about, that's about all I wanted to do. But I started as a, as a systems analyst doing computer programming, which looked a heck of a lot different than it does today. But I started there and worked my way uh, through the organization into marketing operations and uh, ran business units and eventually ended up as a president of a data and internet company and chief marketing officer and decided that I had a good run and, and moved on, started to write about the things that I'd learned. And that was the, the genesis of the whole Be Different or Be Dead uh, book series thing which we can talk about later. It's kind of a, I think a very, very cool and very relevant idea, particularly for career people today in terms of differentiating themselves and finding a way to stand out as opposed to blend in with everybody else around you. So right now I'm continuing to write. I write for a lot of media channels about my stuff, be different or be dead. And I've, I've got, I got a website and a regular blog and I invite guests bloggers to come in and, and be part of the uh, the experience and it's kind of my insidious way of getting other people to write about be different or be dead because one of the conditions of writing a blog on my site 
is you need to talk about something around uniqueness, standing out, not fitting in. And that's just my way of getting people to think about that theme. So that's kind of me in a, in a heartbeat. There's a couple of things that, because one of the questions you asked me is what leads to a diverse career. In my particular case, I had a ridiculous, audacious goal. And you really need to start out with that. Like it's not a matter of just kind of wandering through. It's you got to start out with something. And mine in those days was, was pretty audacious because I, I just simply said to myself, this is a pretty engineering dominated organization and I wanted to be a vice president of that organization amongst all engineers. And I, I'm not an engineer. I wanted to do that before I was 40 years old. In a lot of businesses today, that may not seem audacious, but in a company as big as TELUS that is, was dominated by engineers, that was huge. So I just simply said, I'm going to do it before I'm 40. Don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to have that as kind of like this insidious subliminal driver in terms of my activity and what I did. And I think it made a difference because subconsciously, I'm quite convinced that the decisions I made and the opportunities that I pursued were driven by that audacious goal. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Don't know how. I'm going to learn my way along. The second thing that was associated with that is every time that I change jobs, I ask myself what I call the magic question. Now that's a Royism. It's called the magic question. And if you go onto my site, you can find out exactly what it means. But it's a real simple concept. It says, when I change jobs, when I'm confronted with a new opportunity, what am I going to do differently? You see, part of the problem is people assume that what got them there will get them to where they need to go. And that's pretty, pretty dangerous. Because the reality is every job, every career point has a different set of challenges. So you need to keep doing it. I asked myself, every different job I got was always the first thing. What am I going to do differently in this particular position? And what different skill sets do I have to draw on? And that's all based on the requirement of the job. And so I basically did that. I worked my way around the organization, did a whole bunch of different things. And that's the other thing, right? Never ask yourself the question, is the job opportunity in front of me consistent with my career goals? Just take it and you'll find out. The problem is, and I get this from kids, you guys, all the time. It's like, oh, Roy, I want to do this, but I don't know if it's consistent with my career goals. And I keep saying, who cares? You'll find out in the process of doing it. Because there's no other way of doing it, right? The only answer to the question is in retrospect anyways, right? Right? In, in, in 60 days, you may have a clue. If you don't take it, you will have no clue at all. And so have a goal, ask the magic question, get a job, take a job, be okay with the risk and learn your way along. And after 30 years, you'll find out if that call that you made 25 years ago was the right decision. You'll never know at the time. And those magic questions are actually very helpful advice, not only for our participants, but for us too. So thank you for that, Roy. Jordan is going to lead the rest of the podcast, and he's got a couple of questions to ask you as well, Roy. Please. Roy, you pretty much answered my first question, which is what led you to a diverse career. But 
I also wanted to ask what lessons you've learned uh, that you wish you would have known when you first started out. There's kind of like three things I think that are worth mentioning here. First of all, is the whole relevance of our education. And, and this is a bit of blasphemy, but if you read my stuff, you'll learn that I treat education and an academic pedigree as kind of like the ante to play the game. You need it to play the game, the career game, but it absolutely guarantees you nothing. And there's so many people that I talk to are resting their entire future on that academic pedigree. And they assume that with that, they have access to a successful and rewarding future. That's a deadly position to take. And it took me a while to figure that out, right? That your education, and don't get me wrong, is important, but it's what you do after that that's really important in terms of career. I mean, I know a lot of MBA guys that are really unhappy, and I can tell you why. They feel entitled because they got an MBA from Harvard. And I keep saying to them, I don't care. I really don't care what you've got. All you've done is shown me that you can learn. Now what I want to do is find out how I can map that learning into something productive for me and my organization and figure out how you can stand out from the guy next to you who's also got an MBA from Harvard. It doesn't matter. So it took me a while to sort that out. Your academic pedigree is needed to start the game. That's all. What you need to do is kind of push it aside and learn some new stuff. New stuff, by the way, that they don't teach you at school. Like, I don't think you guys have ever had a cut the crap course, have you? I don't think you've had, ever had a planning on the run course, have you? I don't think you've ever had a kill dumb rules class, have you? And yet every one of those concepts is so vital to success in an organization. And it might beg the question, what do you mean, Roy? But we can get into that, that later. And so, so the notion of get your head straight around your education is really important. And I probably was, I wanna say maybe five years late in learning. If I had to learn that and realize that a bit earlier, it may have made a slight bit of difference. The second point I want to talk is about mentoring. I know there's a lot of conversation in the, in the world about mentoring. I have sort of a different spin on mentoring, which is not the classic, as you could expect. My spin on mentoring doesn't come from a textbook, right? It doesn't come from, from an HR manual. It comes from learning about what kind of mentor you need to actually be successful and stand out from your, your competition. And that's all around finding somebody that's actually done something. There's a lot of people that are kind of coveted by career journeygoers based on their intellect. And guess what? I mean, as per my previous comments, there are limitations in terms of how people can help you just based on intellect alone. I got this, you know, all of this, these degrees and I've written all these papers. I don't care about that. I want to know what have you done? Because I want to learn from how you did it, because that's what differentiates you from the person next to you. Okay, so find a mentor, and I've written this in my blogs, find a mentor that's actually done something, has got a proven track record of consistently delivering superlative results in a messy world with uncertainty, unpredictability, and personal bias and politics that surrounds them every day. I'm sorry, you can't theorize that. 
You can't write an algorithm for that. So you have to have, find somebody that's learned how to cope. And if we had more time, I'd tell you about my theory of pain, but that we can save for another day. Third thing is, look at how many plans do you ever know, have you ever known that have worked out the way you originally intended? I mean, not my experience, none of them. Okay, and that's because it's not that the plan was stupid or ill thought through, it's that the conditions around it changed the moment you started executing, right? I mean, Keynesian economics is bull, quite frankly, because it assumes all things remain equal, blah, 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 blah. What the re reality is, nothing remains equal. So why would we base a theory around a false assumption or hypothesis? So here, the, the notion that I wish I got onto a little quicker was the whole notion of execute, don't plan. Execute, don't plan. Spend 20% of your time on planning, and 80% of your time on executing. Because that's the only way you'll learn what works and what doesn't work. Okay, so those would be my three. Get your head straight about what you've achieved at school, find a mentor that's done something, and get your head around executing, not planning. That's all she wrote. Three things, I would say. Um, I wish I'd have learned a bit earlier, but that's okay. There's another concept called recovery that says when you screw up, you better fix it fast, learn from it, and move on. So I'm good at that too. So I, those three things didn't hold me back. <laughs> Make sense? Yes. Pretty simple stuff. Right? Does. Yeah. This is not complicated, is it? It's pretty straightforward, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. That's why it's um, when you when you learn it and you get it, you can do it. Mm -hmm. This is like advice and knowledge that our participants need some of, so thank you for that, Roy. And in continuation, our next question is from Julie, who's on this call with us. And her question is, in such a competitive job market, what do you suggest young professionals can do more of in order to stand out? Yeah, well, again, this is um, really a personal thing, okay? And I always find it hard answering that question other than kind of describe the process that worked for me that I had to create. And it's called a career game plan as opposed to a career plan. And the reason game plans in there is because I'm trying to get this whole notion of execution around, around the career plan as opposed to just having this kind of like theoretical treatise about what you want to do. You can't really stand out unless you know what it is you want to do and the skill sets that are required and the nature of the competition around you. So in order to get at that, I created this notion of, uh, actually started out as a strategic game plan used for creating strategies for organization. And then I quickly discovered that it had applied very nicely to people's career. And so it really is about answering three questions. We don't have time to go into it today, but it's all, it's actually in one of my eBooks called Be Different You. It talks about answering three questions and you will have your game plan. And one is how big do you want to be, which is a statement of what specific position do you want to achieve in the next 36 months? It's not good enough to say, I want to get a job in marketing. That's not enough focus for us to do anything. I mean, all that is, is aspirational rhetoric. Okay. We need to get really specific. 
The second is who are you going to serve? This talks to the what I call the foxes in the organization or in the environment that actually have the ability to influence you and help you. Okay, these are mentors, but in Grey's Anatomy, they, they have this term, your person, right? You guys know what Grey's Anatomy, right? So who's Meredith's person? Well, it used to be Christina. Okay, that was her person. Was she a mentor? She was way more than a mentor, way more than a mentor. We as people pursuing a career need to find our persons. Okay, people who are emotionally connected to us, who really get us, and who are able to help us along the way, which is kind of like what I would call a, a mentor on steroids, right? Got to find your person. That's the second piece. And the third piece is, how am I going to compete and win? You probably haven't read this, but I came up with this idea called the only statement. Have you had a chance to, to read about that in my stuff? Okay, so what it is, it says, I am the only one that. It's not like I'm the best or I'm the leader. It's like a binary thing. It says, I am the only one that. It's a statement of competitive advantage, okay, relative to the people who are going after the same jobs that you've already described, right? and having access to the same sort of skill sets in terms of mentors. It's that only statement, all right, that answers your question about how to stand out. And it's different for every person. What makes Jordan stand out depends on, first of all, what he has to stand out in relative to the job and the position that he's coveting. Okay, in other words, it's not a general thing. In my day, we are going through a, a transition from a monopoly to a competitive business. So I sorted out pretty early on that what we really needed is we needed a high level of marketing and customer service skills. Because up until that day, we didn't do marketing, we just flogged products. We didn't provide service, we just took calls, right? And provided over the transom kind of satis demand satisfaction. So I realized we need marketing and, and service. So I went out and got those skills. And I was the only one that had the degree of skills in those two areas in the company. Because everybody else was engineering, and they were still stuck in the monopoly world. And so for me, it was that sort of space. And I declared it. I said, you know, I'm the only guy that's really done this right? Because I went out and practiced it, et cetera, et cetera. And it quickly morphed into a brand for myself. I became known as the marketing guy, the service guy in the company, because I created that for myself. So that's an example of how it applied to me. How it applies to you is different. But, it, but don't forget the context for figuring out how you want to stand out is based on what job do you want? And what is the competition around that? Okay, that's the context. It's not good enough to be a generalist. It's not good enough to say, you know, I'm, I'm really good at conflict management. You know, I'm really good at, at logistics, man. It's not good enough to say that. I mean, hardly, if you're going for a marketing job, I don't really want to hear about your financial skills. What I want to hear is how are you unique in the area of marketing that I need? And how can you step away from the crowd it's all saying the same boilerplate thing. By the way, boilerplate, bad word. Kill the concept. Another bad word, benchmarking. Copying, kill the word. Best in class, 
kill the word. Why? Because it doesn't give you any strategic advantage by copying something. You understand? I mean, it may improve kind of like your internal efficiency, but it doesn't separate you from anybody else. Okay, so it's the process what I'm saying is important to go through here. It's almost a self, you got to search yourself. Everybody has something that's unique. What's important to me is you think about it and work on it every day. You don't have to get it 100% right, guys. That's the other thing. It's okay to come up with something that's like 80%, right? And then hone it, hone it, hone it over time. The only statement, that's the way, that's the source of stepping away from the crowd. So check it out. Thank you for listening to part one of this podcast. Stay tuned for part two to hear more from Roy Ozing.